Crippled Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. This episode of Disability After Dark has been sponsored by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at comeasyouare.com with coupon code AFTERDARK. Do you want to talk with me around sex and disability on Twitter? Follow me at Andrew Gerza, that's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A, and use the hashtag DisabilityAfterDark. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark may be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for coming out and clicking on episode 24 of Disability After Dark. This one is really cool. This one's an important episode, and I'm excited to share it with you. So, let's get started. For this episode, I decided to interview my very best friend. Her name is Kristen Williams, and we talk a little bit about her experiences as a woman in a wheelchair trying to navigate the online dating world a little bit. We also talk about the work she does for women. She works at a sexual assault center in Ottawa, Canada, And I wanted to talk to her a little bit about her work there and her experiences dealing with individuals dealing with sexual assault as a woman with disabilities. So the interview is really frank. There's a little few, there's a few anecdotes between her and I that only best friends can have. Um, It's really relaxed and I wanted her to share her story. I think the discussion of women on the internet is important. Women with disabilities on the internet is extremely important. I think the discussion of women who are disabled, who are sexually assaulted is important. I think there's a lot of important things that come out of this interview, and I'm excited to have sh- be able to share it with you. So here's my interview with Kristen Williams right here on Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. Hi, Kristen. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. I'm so well... The audience, I, I told you guys before, Chris and I are best friends, so I can't introduce her like I would normally introduce. I Hi, guess. everybody. I'm Andrew's best friend. Hey. Um, so you and I were talking earlier today, because Chris and I talk all the time, because we're big mm-hmm. dorks. We were talking mm-hmm. earlier today about you and why I want to have you on the podcast for a few reasons, is because I want you to talk about your experience as a woman with disabilities and a wheelchair user. Mm. And I want you. The reason why I wanted to do this podcast so quickly was from something that happened to you. By the time this goes live, it'll be a few weeks from then. But something that happened to you today during the record, you know, before the recording, mm. and an online kind of message you got from a guy. Can you right. first tell us about yourself? I'm going off on like five tangents. Tell us who you are. Introduce yourself, and then we'll go into that. So my name is Kristen Williams. I am, I guess, by all definitive purposes, a person with a disability who is also a support worker for women that have experienced violence. 
uh, at the Sexual Assault Center of Ottawa. Um, in my spare time, I guess I like to blog and drink wine. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So basically, you're the disabled version of Olivia Pope? I think I what might be, except that I'm totally nothing like her. And I don't like that Fitz guy. He's, like, not that attractive. Fitz, you know. Yes. The Audience, that's hashtag, do, you, do we like Olitz? I think they're great. I, I think Fitz is fucking gorgeous. We're all talking about scandal. See? Scandal. When you interview your friends, we have, like, <laughs> a thousand tangents we go on. It's fine. Um, Everyone watches scandal. It's okay. So. So, yeah, Kristen, tell us kind of about... Back to back to what happened to you today when you like you call you right sent, you sent this to me and said oh my god this is a podcast topic and I read the thing and I was like yeah it is so right. tell, tell us what happened and kind of the, run us through that what what you were up to so it's a really simple thing but I think that what actually happened speaks volumes to like greater problems so let me just explain I've been texting this guy that I met online a couple weeks ago we have yet to meet in person. We're just doing like the standard prerequisite chatting over text that everybody seems to do nowadays, right? We're trying to like get to know each other. Um, and he's very interested. He seems very interested. He asks me a lot of questions. I ask him questions in turn. Um, but always the conversation just kind of stops and I never really know why. And it's usually around the point when I ask to meet for coffee or go for drinks or I ask him out in some other way. Um, it just kind of, he stops replying, and I I have never really pushed it, and then today I just, that happened where he didn't reply to me asking to meet up with him, and so I finally said, so, you're scared of my disability, yeah? And, um... Which is just, really ballsy, by the way. I mean, I've... Oh, you I've, know, when you get to our age, I think you don't have any more time for bullshit, you know? I've done um, it, too, but it's... It's really hard to be like, so the reason why you're kind of being weird is because of the thing that I already knew, but I don't want to have to tell you that I knew it. Right. And it's also hard because you're, it is based on an assumption. Like I'm, I made an assumption that that's what it was. And I took a chance by putting it out there. And he actually said, I wouldn't call it scared, haha, but I do acknowledge that your disability is a very big thing and I'm not really sure how to deal with it. So I don't really know about getting too close. Haha, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just not sure. And like this whole very awkward. I think he also in somewhere in there said it's not personal to you. Yeah. I'm just Actually, this is a big thing to deal with. Because so, we're yeah. be- because we're best friends, you sent me the the thing and I can read it to the audience once I find it. But yeah, oh. tell us while I'm doing that, kinda how that made you feel and then I'll find the exact quote. Uh, I, to, at this point in my life, I think I'm not very surprised by it. Um, a lot of men that have this fear of disability, and it is a lot, so I will say a lot, um, they never outrightly come and say it to your face. Uh, rarely do they even say it over text. Usually they just ghost or they dump you, uh, and you never get to know the reason why. That's not uh, uncommon behavior either, and it's also not very pleasant. So, of course, by this point in my life, I'm just tired, I think, of this constant having to appease other people's fear, but half the time not even really getting to address that fear. And then when you have instances like today, 
where I, yeah. I got to address the fear. That conversation also ended shortly after that because he didn't want to talk about it. I, uh, I found which, the quote. So you said almost exactly, so you're scared of my disability, hey? And he said verbatim, I wouldn't say scared, haha, but I just don't know if I'm strong enough to deal with it. You know, like it's a big thing and it's not personal because you're pretty cool. I'm just not sure. TBH, sorry, like frowny face. And you were like, I like your response because it was so badass. It was, there was some badassery happening. We'll get to your response in just a second. I want to just kind of parse out what he said. Because, mm. <laughs> audience, I'm coughing because I have a really sexy You're coughing because you, yeah. I have a sexy flu like... thing happening right now, so go with it. Um, so he said, yeah, he said, I wouldn't say scared, haha. The thing that, the thing that I, related to and rereading this is that I think he was and what I have trouble with is I think he was honest. Yes. And the honesty is fair. For sure. But I think what I have trouble with when it comes to and I've said this before, when it comes to these kind of statements is that they just say it to us like we're supposed to take it. Yeah, it's the entitlement that they have the right to say this sort of thing to have this sort of brutal honesty and we're supposed to just understand and say like, oh, well, I am disabled, so I get your fear. It's a big, scary thing that I live with every day. I, I understand, you know? Um, and I don't think most of us feel that way. At least I definitely don't. I uh, feel like fear is only overcome by, you know, facing it head on. It's not come by uh, absolute avoidance. That never, that no. never works. I also think that when he said, I don't know if I'm strong enough, I need to call him out there a little bit and just say, you know, who is strong enough? Who like? Yeah, like also like, what are your rules of masculinity that you're referring to? Like, yeah, like you have to be strong to accept a person with a disability. Like, what does that say about how you view people with disabilities? And I know that we're kind of really breaking it down here, but I think it is problematic in the sense that like, um, you know, men don't have to be strong enough to like like love women or like women like it's just you just you you learn things about someone and that's part of getting to know them and, and you nobody learn... has to be strong to like anybody who isn't normative i think yeah i think nobody is strong or weak generally yeah, yeah i'm not when i look at my disability i'm not strong there are days where i'm fucking weak. i'm it really makes it's tough it's really tough especially in terms of sexuality so when people say oh i'm not strong enough and you're you're so much stronger than me. It's like, no, no, I'm fucking not. I'm just as fucked up as you are. Yeah, and really, like, we're just doing our lives. I'm just doing my life. Strong and weak, both the same. I just you think know? it's really, like, just the And the, he put it on you just like, oh, yeah, whatever. And yeah. Then, You're right, though. It is honest, and I do have an appreciation for that, but I have this other feeling that's like, Okay, is that because I'm so conditioned to being ignored from that question? Like, usually I put that out there and men just don't talk to me ever again. And to me, that kind of proves that I'm right. Although that could be a bit of confirmation bias, you know, which is like when you see the results of something and assume that it's what your belief is, right? Like I'm confirming, uh, confirming what I already believe. But I do think that's what's happening. Like, people ignore me because I'm right, you know, like, yeah, she is right, I am afraid of her disability, I don't want to talk about this, I'm just going to ghost her. Uh, that's the usual response that I get. And so the guy having any response at all was kind of nice, and 
I feel sad saying that because we should be able to talk about these things a little bit more openly, you know? Yeah, we really should. And the fact that we don't is problematic. But what's more problematic is that he, again, he just felt the urge to just come out and say, sorry, and you're just supposed to take it. I don't think what people understand is when people leave messages like that, and I've, again, I talked about this. <coughs> Sexy cop. I talked about this in episode five, uh, Gibbs on Grinder, where I talk about my experiences. We're supposed to take it, take these comments, and just move on. Like, all right, yep, okay. But, right. That's an issue with the microaggression, right? Like, microaggressions are little aggressions that we're just supposed to accept as minor and no big deal, and we're not supposed to blow up at. But then over time, when they happen consistently, they are no longer micro, they're macro, they're huge. And we, we like, it changes how we internalize ourselves or how we view ourselves and how we see other people around us. I think it's really harmful, generally. What Is that I, where you were going? What I wanted to say, actually, was... Um, I just forgot my train of thought. What I wanted to say about taking, you know, taking those things in is that it does affect us. It really, it sits with us for a long time afterwards. And it, it yeah, kind of like what you were saying, the microaggression, but it, it buries itself deeper. Like, and it, it becomes part of our, <laughs> part of our, our truth and part of what we believe about ourselves. Um, yeah. And so that just really, it sucks. I mean, I don't think people realize in this world of digital dating and digital hooking up and digital fucking, whatever it is we're doing, that uh, that what you say can actually really, has an impact. Yeah, and for us, the people with disabilities being that our digital outlet is typically the outlet that we use primarily to meet people, to have contact with the outside world, especially for us living in, you know, not hot places. Yeah. Right now, it's it's you know the middle of January, and it's it helps me stay connected with the world because otherwise we can't get outside. It's like, like have you looked outside? There's ten mountains of snow out my window right now. Like there's, I'm not gonna leave my apartment. Are you kidding? Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. Death. So it is like a portal of socialization that otherwise we would totally miss out on. And so when people are hurtful in that little portal, in the online dating world, then it has a big impact. Um, yeah, yeah, a huge impact. Um, I wanted to delve more into your experiences online because I think as a woman with disabilities, you encounter a very specific type of person online. And I've been there when you've navigated that and I've seen some of the things people have said to you. Can you kind of explain as a wheelchair user um, the kind of, and as a woman, and as all those things that mesh together, yep. the kind of stuff that you've received and what that's meant and done, meant for you and done to you. So the good and the bad and all the stuff together. Okay. So this is a pretty big question, but I can try. I think that um, I, since doing online dating, which let's be honest, I've been doing it for like, you know, five or six years on and off. Um, and it is like a main means through which I date because the thing about online dating is like, you know, the premise around online dating is that people want to date each other. There's no ambiguity there. Like, it's not like when you meet someone in Starbucks and you're like, oh, that guy's cute. But like, does he think that I'm cute though? It's like, no, if he's messaging you back, 
he also thinks you're cute. Like, that's established. So that is. I really enjoy your Starbucks voice that just happened. That was really cool. <laughs> Anytime. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think that because there's, like, no ambiguity or littler, littler, smaller levels awesome. of ambiguity. Thanks. It's, it's good, but um, it's still it's still the world, right? It's like still people are shitty, and I, I think something that I've really noticed from online dating is that people are very afraid of disability, and the type of people that talk to me are rarely, like, rarely um, overly privileged men, dare I say. And I know that this is, like, my social justice side coming out, but... It's usually people that also experience difference in some way that that initiate conversation with me or speak to me um, in a way that I feel human. I find that the more um, privileged a guy is, the more distance he is from my reality. Um, and so I kind of look at online dating that way where there is a lot of fear from men that are super privileged and then, you know, normal levels of acceptance, like positive, happy levels of acceptance from people who are maybe viewed as more non-normative and have that experience because automatically they relate to me a little bit. You know, like sometimes difference bonds well with other versions of difference, you yeah. know? Um, but okay. there's a ton of fear and there's a ton of entitlement around asking questions that I don't want to be asked. Um, is that what you were going to interject with or what were you going to yeah. say? No, I'm just agreeing with you that I think that I also, when I go online, I look for people who, you know, don't fit certain molds and go outside the lines and are a little, you know, I look for people who may or may not access, look like they access privilege. Or at least they can say like, oh, okay, you know, I see you're in a, you have a disability. Cool, let's talk about that. As opposed to people who, who might not be willing to do that right or the people who want to talk about it but are so privileged that they don't even know how to really properly ask like they kind of treat you like you're just some sort of commodity instead of like an actual person with you know interaction happening you know it's not like you can't just ask me if I can have sex off like right away like that doesn't make any sense you wouldn't do that it's well, maybe these are the same people that would do it to able bodied women. I don't know because I'm not able bodied, but in my experience, the question, can you have sex, is so prevalent. That's why every video you ever see or any blog you ever read about people with disabilities and online dating or dating when sexuality generally, there's always some mention about the question of, can you have sex? And it's a very entitled question. Like, there has to be some sort of sense of power that, yes, I can rightfully ask this person about their sexuality right now even though I don't know them I don't know their name I don't know them from a brick in the wall but I can ask them the super personal question because I am so far removed from their reality that it's okay for me to totally like dehumanize them you know so I think there's that issue at play too of just when when there's like tons of privilege it's hard to it's hard for me to relate to and it's also hard for them to relate to me yeah and so, I mean, there's people like the the comment we just read together, and then there's people who also said, you look, oh my god, you're so gorgeous, you're such a pretty girl in a chair. How does, how do those yeah. comments play for you? Like, how do you feel when... 
Yeah, I feel bad talking about this because I, I, the more I talk about it with other people with disabilities, the more I notice that it's not just me. Like, I've had the question, like, oh, you're too pretty to be in a wheelchair. What happened? I've been told that, like, I'm an inspiration and that they find me very unique and that they like the way that I'm different. Yesterday, someone told me that I offer them perspective. And they wrote that as a first message. They didn't write it like, oh, I'm getting to know you, so you're offering me this new perspective. They wrote it like, I looked at you, saw you in a wheelchair, and decided to change my perspective on life, which is a deeper problem in and of itself. But, um, like, what I'm trying to say is these are not new comments. This isn't, these are not new problems. Other people are, other women, other people with disabilities are experiencing these sort of stupid, ignorant questions on and on and on. And so I don't want to sit here and act like, you know, I'm the only one, but it's the, it's the constant, the very consistent level with which I get these constant questions about myself and like these uh, perceptions, these ideas that like, I'm inspirational or like my life is very hard. Um, And I don't think like it ends at online dating, obviously like men who I've met in real life, like have those sorts of perceptions too, like that I meet in the real world, not from behind my computer screen, have those sort of, Oh, like your life must be really hard. Like, let me do this for you. Let me do that for you. Dating is really hard when you're a person with a disability. It's really fucking hard. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on the show. Am yeah, I? Yeah. Can I? Yes. What? Yes. Good. Very difficult. Swear away. <laughs> swear away. Okay. Fuck, fuck, fuck. See, see, there we go. So I think that if, like, we were talking earlier about fear and how people show their fear to us all the time and how we're kind of constantly put in a position of comforting them or like being expected to understand where their fear comes from and that's all well and good except for when you're 29 and you're tired of it you know like you're tired of the emotional labor that's involved with helping someone understand parts of you why why so that like two weeks they can decide that you're too much for them and like leave you in the ditch somewhere like just kidding I'm being very dramatic but you know I'm saying that like you could do all this emotional work, explain your disability to them, like, let them know all this information, and then they can still sit there and go, hmm, hmm, mm, maybe I could just date this able-bodied person instead. And then you're fucked. So it's like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not only just about the comments. It's not only just about the assumptions. It's about the actual legwork, like the emotional labor that goes into making these sort of situations even possible for us, to making these, like, these doors open for ourselves so that we can access dating just to have them shut in our face again, you know? And I think that if disability was more accepted and understood and less like dramatized and less just dehumanized, then I wouldn't have to do all that emotional work. You wouldn't have to do all the emotional labor. You wouldn't have to spend three weeks wondering if this person is actually going to ditch you at the four week mark, you know, like it's, it's, it's draining. It's tiring. It's made me think I don't want to date ever again. And I can't be the only woman to have ever thought that I'm looking at you, Carrie Bradshaw, Sex in the City. (laughs) Let's, let's just pause for a minute. Carrie Bradshaw is not a real person. So, okay. (laughs) That girl was always burned out of dating. You can't tell me otherwise. She was not a real person though. This is, this is, this is, what? She was a character. Was Carrie Bradshaw real? No, but let's hashtag that. Uh, but I want to. Well, I want to go back. <laughs> I want to go back to your um, 
to when people say, "Oh, you're such a, you're too pretty to, you're too pretty to be in a wheelchair." Yeah, as a, like, as, a as a woman and as somebody yeah. who's pretty fiercely feminist. Yeah. Um, how does that kind of, make you feel? Ah, like, like if I'm to be totally candid, it makes me feel like people aren't really seeing me. They don't really understand what disability means. Like you can be pretty and be disabled. They're not. They're not separate things. Like they, what I think the term is mutual, mutually exclusive, right? Like they can exist together. So it doesn't make any sense when people say, "Oh, you're too pretty to be in a wheelchair," or like, "Oh, you're so pretty. I'm so sorry that happened to you. It's too bad about your injury." Okay. Like I don't know what one really doesn't affect the other. I can be pretty and be disabled. It's not I'm pretty but I'm disabled. It's I'm pretty and I'm disabled. And also, like, it just kind of shows the level of objectification that that people still go to when they say that sort of thing. Like, they think it's an accomplishment that I'm pretty and I'm sitting in this chair. I didn't do anything to look the way I look. Really, believe me, I don't exercise at all. I have a very bad diet. <laughs> and Andrew knows I don't really take care of myself. Like, I try, but, you know, it's, it's not because Any... of any... A sexy man listening out there. Kristen is a cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I should not forget our audience. But the point is, I when people are pretty, they're pretty. It's not anything that they've done. They haven't accomplished anything, um, you know, by being pretty. You're either, you know, pretty, or maybe you're not so pretty and you, like, work toward I don't know. I, I don't like societal standards of beauty anyways. I don't think that most people do because it excludes us all, but I think that when people say you're too pretty to be in a wheelchair, they don't actually understand what being in a wheelchair means and that you can be both things at the same time. And again, it goes back to what we said earlier about, um, you know, why would someone, and I've seen people send this to you as their, as your, their first, like, hello message is, oh, you're so pretty to be in a chair. What? Like, why would you... What What? gives you the right to feel like you could say that to me? Yeah. And, like, on what planet is this socially acceptable? And, like, have you forgotten that you're talking to another human being? But, like, to that person, it's, like, a good, I feel good deed to compliment me, right? Like, the same way that a person on the street would come up to you and say, like, hey, Andrew, like, I, or, like, obviously they wouldn't know your name because I'm supposed to be imitating a stranger. But, (laughs) hey, hey, Andrew. No, crap, I said your name again. Okay, but like, hey, I just want to tell you that you're like really attractive. And Andrew crazy. like goes all red and he's like, oh, like, like, thank you. And then that guy was like, you're welcome. I hope you have a really good day. <laughs> he just feels like he's done you a favor by telling you you're attractive, right? Like, and that sort of is the same sort of thing that's happening here in a different context, in the context of online dating. But this idea that people are doing us a favor by telling us we're still conventionally attractive despite our disabilities, which is, like, deeply problematic because there's nothing inherently wrong or ugly about having a body or a brain that maybe is slightly not typical or maybe a little bit different. There's nothing bad about that. And I think when they refer to you as pretty, a pretty girl in a chair, it minimizes your, it minimizes you even more because you're a woman in a chair and the only way that you can be seen in the world 
This is a pretty innocent little girl. Oh, yeah. And I have a bad feeling in the pit of my stomach that that sort of um, way of looking at me is probably going to follow me around until I'm, like, 55 years old. Like, do you think when I when I graduate to 50, if I make it to 50 years old, that people are going to stop calling me dear and sweetheart and, like, kind of minimizing my humanity on the basis of my chair? I don't think so. Like, it's just, it's it's going to be something that I think will plague me forever because it is, you're right, it is minimization that people um, see me as less of a person and so that when they say you're pretty for a person in a chair, they're only looking at you in relevance to all the other apparent people in wheelchairs, even though I never really know who it is that they're comparing me to because I know lots of pretty people in wheelchairs, so... That actually doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but... Yeah, I mean, it's just pretty, I mean, it's just pretty, like, ridiculous, the kind of yeah. stuff, the stuff that I've seen you, as a woman online, trying to navigate this stuff, have to encounter. Do you have any other, like, funny stories of things that happen specifically around your, like, womanhood as a woman with disabilities? Uh, online fun. dating and all that stuff? I, one guy uh, two weeks ago asked me, he was chatting with me for a bit, and then he said, um, I live in Toronto, and just so everyone knows, I, Kristen, live in Ottawa, so this guy just closed that he lives in Toronto, and I said, oh, it's too bad, it's kind of far away, eh? And he said, yeah, so before I let you go, I just have to know, like, can you have sex? I've always wondered if people in chairs could do that. This was like his closing remark to me, after having, like, a normal chit-chat for however long, you know, a couple of days. We were messaging back and forth online, and then he says, before I let you go, can you have sex? And I was like... And it's like if you it's like if you say yes to that, that, like, somehow... It's an invitation? Yeah. Hey, yeah, yes, here I am. I'm ready for you, like, yeah. why? Yeah, so perhaps we need to have another conversation about that regarding consent. Like, I think there's some issues around consent uh for people with disabilities because i don't think men because of the dehumanization process that happens and i know i'm being a little bit um uh formal here but because we dehumanize people with disabilities like it's then assumed that you can just ask us anything about our sexualities which can transform into like oh if this person is willing to tell me that also means they're willing to have sex with me and like or like you know, men will do the whole, well, why did you tell me all of that if you didn't want to have sex with me? I don't know. Like, maybe I was horny and I felt like t- texting me those really horny things. Like, it doesn't mean that I want to have sex with you, right? So I think that when a person with disability thinks about and is is trying to navigate consent, it's really important for able-bodied people to realize that just being able to s- disclose certain parts of sexuality doesn't mean that we're all like happy to have sex with you immediately. It just means that we're having a conversation. And it's like um, that tea video. Did you ever see the tea video, Andrew? I did see the tea video. Tea and consent. You know, they make the tea and it's like, if the person wants tea and they say yes to tea, you can make them tea. It's the same with sex. And then if the person uh, doesn't and you still make them tea and then they decide to say no, you don't shove this scalding tea <laughs> down their throat and burn them to death. Like, it's the same with consent, except that when you're talking about a person with a disability, I think there's some forgetting or some lack of knowledge happening where people think, well, this person told me all about her sexuality, so it must mean 
she wants to sleep with me because clearly no one else wants to sleep with her since she's disabled. And it may seem like I'm being extreme right now, but I think that unfortunately that's how a lot of men and people maybe generally, I don't know because I mostly interact with men when it's talking about like sexual things, um, think about sexuality for people with disabilities. And that's a huge problem because consent should mean, you know, being able to change your mind at any time and being able to say like, yeah, I'm really glad I talked to you about this, but just so you know, I don't want to have sex with you. Um, so yeah, I could ramble on about this forever, but keep rambling, please. Too. You have more. Yeah. You ramble away. Yeah, I um, I was just gonna say some other parts about how I think when you're a person with a disability who wants to give consent, um, that it is nuanced in a different way than it is for an able-bodied person, in the sense that like when I say yes to having sex with someone, I'm not just saying yes to them sticking their penis in my vagina. I'm saying yes to, like, them putting me on the bed and, like, watching me flail around and, like, you know, watching the way that my body moves. I'm just, like, being totally candid and a little bit ridiculous because I don't think I really flail, but maybe, I don't know. So... The I point think, is, I like, think you flail. You, okay. Clearly, yeah, least. yeah, and I don't know. Everybody looks different when they orgasm. For example, like my orgasm doesn't look the same as an able-bodied person's orgasm. Okay, that's kind of scary for me. Like maybe it's then in turn a little bit harder for me to orgasm in some situations. Let's talk about that for a minute. What's uh, what does the Kristen Cripple orgasm look like? Oh, I, to be honest, it's not like I have a mirror above my bed. I don't think I've ever seen myself. What do you think it looks like then? Well, I, I have a bunch of muscle spasms. So uh, it's not like how you see in the movies when like the able-bodied people are just having this crazy, spontaneous, mad hot sex. And like the girl's way of coming is always like she just like arches her back and grips the bed and like, digs her own nails into her own hands. Yeah, but ask any real-life woman. I don't think orgasming for them is like that either. I'm pretty sure no. no, no, it's, I, I totally agree with you, and that's something that's fucked up about the media and whatnot, but, like, I feel so far removed from that. Like, and I'm sure, to an extent, every woman does, yes, but, like, my body is, like, beyond, like, um oh, this doesn't look like it's in the movies. It's like, I had someone ask me not so long ago, he said to me, um, so like, tell me about your orgasms. And I, I said like... <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> Andrew, you actually know this person, so it's funnier. Okay. <laughs> okay, so anyways. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, really another perk from interv- from interviewing your friends is you get to know all the inside scoops on the stories that they're about to tell the world. <laughs> awesome. Continue, please. So I don't even know if I've actually ever told you this this story, but because it somehow hasn't come up in our conversations. But um, he so he, and we talk uh, like seven times a day for hours. It's a, a time. little bit absurd. <laughs> basically, joined the hip. So, or join um, the crib, if you will. Oh, oh. I'm, I'm not going there with you. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we had just had sex uh, in the shower, and then we moved from the shower to my bed, which is like a big feat in and of itself. So we're laying on my bed, and we're both naked. And 
I am allowed to, to talk about this really oh, candidly. Go on. Okay. Because if I hadn't, by now we'd be in trouble since I just said the word mm-hmm. orgasm like five times. Don't worry, there'll be a disclaimer. There's a, it's, a, it's a dirty podcast. Awesome. Great. My favorite kind. Um, so we're laying in the bed after and uh, he just kind of like side glares at me and he's like, so, so tell me about your orgasms. And Why I was did he like, side eye you like you having an orgasm with something wrong? No, that's just kind of, I don't know, that's what he talks. I don't, I didn't think anything of that part, but I see what you're saying. I think he, so, um, I did answer him and I was like, oh, like, like a more direct question would help me here. Like, what would you like to know about my orgasms? And he's like, said, I can't really tell when you have one and when you don't because it looks the same. And I was like, yep, yep. It's not inaccurate. That's probably not untrue. But I think, like, there's a lot of ignorance around women's orgasms generally, whether they're disabled or not, right? Like, women can have consecutive orgasms. They have different types of orgasms. Like, we are stimulated by different things, and, like, some things will work for some women and not for other women. Surprise! So, anyways, I think... um, as a person with a lot of spasticity, uh, me too. And, Virtual yeah. high five to that. Yeah. yeah we can't because we're both spastic. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that um, because of my spasticity, like it probably would be hard to differentiate between like when I've had an orgasm and when I don't. I also um, don't like orgasming in front of people very much. So sometimes I will purposely stop myself, which uh, has a little bit to do with my disability, I think, because I don't feel comfortable in my own skin orgasming in front of another human being, which is like a whole other dish of loveliness that we can discuss later. Does that connect to your disability? Yeah, definitely. Um, Can you you elaborate? So basically, when I do orgasm, orgasms right really intense orgasm um i will just become uncontrollably uh spastic like everywhere in my body and it doesn't just like happen for like a minute and then stop it feels like it goes on for a century i'm not sure that it actually does go on for a century because i don't think i've been alive for that long but i just don't like the loss of total control that happens during that time and Sometimes the desire to have control over my body wins out against the desire to have an orgasm. And, like, as a person with disability, I do think I'm extra conscious about losing control and giving up control of my body. And that could be different for other people with disabilities depending on how they see themselves and how they feel about bodily control. And, you know, the circumstances of their lives, too. Yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, and obviously, like whoever you're you're sleeping with and whatnot, like you're going to decide how you feel about them. And if you're comfortable orgasming in front of them specifically, because you might not be, or you might really be, it's totally dependent on the situation. I think. Did I just ramble on or was that coherent? It was a, it was a nice ramble. There was some, there was coherence there. No, no, we got cool. it. We're okay. keeping it in. It worked. Um, Good. So do you, so I also want to briefly touch on your work at, as a, as a, as a, well, explain your work. Okay. 
So I'm a support worker at the Sexual Assault Support Center of Ottawa. Um, what we do is basically support and empower women that have experienced sexual violence and other types of violence as well. Um, and yes, there are... Do you want me to talk about SASC services or... Well, I'm just curious. You're the only person there with a physical disability, right? Uh, there are other people at the organization that have physical limitations, but none, none as... No other wheelchair users, yes. Okay. And you're, but you're the only... You're the, the main staff member who's a wheelchair user? Yeah, yeah. And would you feel like you, you know, would you... In your job, would you feel like you have a very unique perspective on abuse towards women as a as a wheelchair user? Oh, definitely. Um, and that's not necessarily for a good reason either. I think that um, I think that a lot of people that use SASC services identify as people with disabilities, um, and that is because. The abuse rate for people with disabilities is higher, much, much higher than that of the average able-bodied person or a woman. Um, disabled women are, I've said this before, I'll say it again, disabled women are uh, at likeliness of being abused. Uh, the percentage, I think, is 81 to 91% of women with disabilities will be sexually assaulted at some point in their lifetime. So that's a pretty huge statistic, and that's a, a pretty big reason as to why so many of our service users have physical disabilities and limitations. And I think that it's important to kind of offer the perspective of a person with a disability because I know what it's like to not um, have power. I also know what it's like to be in crappy relationships where you're, you know, being emotionally or physically abused. Um, and I think that it's important that we make the connection between vulnerability and abuse, uh, not because people that um, are abused are naturally vulnerable, but because when you're abused, it puts you, it makes your, it basically exacerbates any vulnerability that you already have, right? So if you're a person with a disability and you're being abused um, and you didn't have a very high sense of independence or you didn't have very much personal agency because of your disability before the abuse then during and after the abuse that agency has got has gone out the window you have even less independence you have less self-worth everything is very heightened for you because of the abusive situation that you're experiencing so i do think it's important that we have more people um that understand abuse and abuse specifically of people with disabilities so that we can assist in helping them because otherwise that statistic of 81 to 91 percent of women with disabilities experience violence within their lifetime gets lost and those women get essentially like lost between the cracks which is a a bigger problem that we have i think i think that it's and i'm just laughing out of nervousness because i'm weird i think that <laughs> I, I don't I think that it, the trouble with the abuse number is it's 81-91% that's been documented. Probably, realistically, it's 100%. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you that it's definitely higher, and I don't want to say 100% because that's terrible. But um... and The reason why I say that is because I think the way 
we look at abuse and violence is so standardized. Like, oh, if, he, if so-and-so hits you, it's abuse. If they're emotionally abusive, it's abuse. Uh, what, what about all the times that people just randomly ask you to have sex online? Could that not be considered, you know... So abuse, yeah, this is a really good question, actually. Abuse is when someone exerts power over the other person. Uh, and it's the thing that distinguishes abuse from other types of social behavior is that it's an exertion of power, but also the end goal is power and control. Like, if you're dating someone and they're emotionally abusive, they don't they don't care about you. They're incapable of caring about you because what they care about is having the control. So bringing you down three notches by emotionally abusing you gives you the, gives them the control, then that's what they're going to do. So yeah, I think that many of us have at least experienced emotional abuse. I'm weary to say 100% just because like I want to cling on to that small hope that there's maybe like the few percent of us that somehow are unicorns that haven't experienced abuse in our lives. Um, but I do Yeah, think, unicorns. Yeah, they're real. <laughs> they part um, rainbows, guys. Yeah. When when do I get to become one? Right. God. Yeah. Tell, I mean, there's and there's not very many support groups out there for women with with disabilities who oh. who experience abuse. Um, and I know this because I've talked to you. So yes. you actually are starting an initiative, kind of in Ottawa, um, in your in the center. And I can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So um, I want to start a support group for people with disabilities that have experienced violence um, at the center, um, but that is not. Uh, it has not gone through the necessary process yet for that to be a um, an achieved thing that's definitely happening. So I can't confirm that that is actually for sure happening right now. But I do know, like you said, that there are currently no groups for people with disabilities outside of grief groups. And what I want to, to start, which is separate from a grief group, is just an ongoing support group for people with disabilities who have experienced violence. When we talk about violence, uh, when I'm talking about it in the context of the Sexual Assault Support Center, I mean sexual violence, which often goes hand in hand with emotional and physical violence. Um, but when I talk about violence, generally, I mean the emotional abuse. I mean uh, just like the loss of power and control that people experience as micro microaggressions that eventually become macroaggressions. Um, I think there should be like an ongoing support group for people with disabilities that isn't just centered around like grief over your disability. No, it's like grief over the fact that society treats you badly. It's grief over the fact that like nobody expects you to have a job. It's grief over the fact that like your bladder stopped working last week, right? Like I want to be able to talk about that ongoing conversation where, you know, I'm having this issue and as a person with disability, I need some support around it. So I think there needs to be a group centered around people with disabilities because there's groups for people with disabilities families so if someone in your family has gotten in a car accident and they've now become paralyzed there's a support group for that there's a support group for family members of people that are paralyzed yeah. uh, which is you know systemically problematic because where's the support group for 
people with disabilities after they leave rehab. And it also right? needs to be run by somebody living with a disability, too. Yeah, well, that's the whole other... Especially issue. if you're going to center it around uh, sexual violence and sexual issues. Um, it needs to be run by somebody who who lives with a disability because they you'll understand. And so I think what you're doing, and why I asked you to bring that up so that I could plug it for you, I think cool. what you're doing is important. I don't think we have these conversations with women with disabilities enough. I think we know that statistic um, intrinsically. We know it that it happens. We don't want to think about it because it's awful, but we need yeah. to talk about it. And I think that we need to do it in a really public way, which is why I've asked Kristen to kind of make the other half of this podcast about that because it happens to women all the time and I can't speak yeah. to that because I'm male-identified, and I don't want to pretend like I know what I'm talking about. Um, no, but the allyship is appreciated, right? Uh, and it is true that it needs to be talked about more. If anybody is listening to this and they're interested, we have crisis lines that are dedicated to this stuff. The one that I work on is out of the Sexual Assault Support Center. Um, we have an ongoing support line, so what that means is that you call and you don't necessarily have to be in full-blown crisis, although if you are, please call us. Uh, regardless and it's just to talk about maybe some of the things that you've been through and some of the violence that may be occurring now or has occurred 20 years ago and it's just coming back up for you you can call that line uh the number if you're already and listening should i give it now or should we wait till the end of the the speak you can do it uh now go ahead okay so it's 613-234-2266 and that's our uh, Sexual Assault Support Center of Ottawa support line. So if you're listening uh, in Eastern Ontario, Canada, yep. this is where you would go. Um, yes, yes. Not, There's other... If you're not listening there, if you're all over the world... Uh... If you're all over the world, Google Sexual Assault Support Center and your area, and probably, hopefully, one will come up. Uh, SASC has or little pocket organizations all over Canada. So um, check it out. Yeah. And if you're elsewhere in the world, in the U.S., because we have some listeners in New York and Texas and great places like that. So if you're listening to this and you are a woman with disabilities who's been abused or feels like they want to talk about this stuff and don't have the resources to do it, get in touch with us and we can, we can work with you to put something together to help you at least get the word out because I you think should. this happens a lot. Um, yeah. And I think we need to really talk about it. So, yeah. Kristen, I really thank you so much for um, sharing your experience with us today. I want to end it on a little bit of a happier note than we just did. Cause sure, yeah. We went to some really serious, very important stuff. But sorry. Really, yeah. No, no, you should never be sorry over this kind of stuff because I think people need to hear it. But I want to uplift our listeners. Ending. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so, do you have any... Hilarious. Funny stories? Sexual stories? Have... Hilarious? Sexual stories? Okay, yeah. Um, there's this one time that I, I tried to have sex with someone, and I wanted to, like, change it up a little bit. Because you know how when you find... I don't know if this happens for other people with disabilities. When, when you find, like, a position that works for you physically, it's like finding fucking licorice at the bottom of the popcorn like you're so happy 
You guys okay. can't see the face I just gave her, but I was like, what? What analogy? Okay, I love finding licorice in my popcorn. But anyways, so when you find a sexual position oh, that works on. for you... I'm doing the face again. When would you ever find licorice in your popcorn? Well, you know, like when you hide it in there and then you're like eating eating the popcorn slowly and you forget that you put licorice halfway through and then you remember because you see it. This has gone on for way too long and I do apologize. Um, but... The end of my story is just basically I tried to sit on this person, to have sex with them from my wheelchair, to try to switch it up, even though the position that we were doing worked fine. And it didn't work at all. And then um, the person actually became, they went soft. And I had to, like, you know when you have that moment when you're like, oh, my God, am I not pretty? Oh, my God, no, I'm not pretty. (laughs) But, like, Deep down in your heart, I hope you know that it's never because you're not pretty. It's usually just because, let's face it, like, erections die sometimes. It's just, like, a fact of life. <laughs> Can it's you like... hashtag erections die? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically, there's no end to the story, and I'm very sorry that I've told it. The point was, like, I, I did have this brief, brief moment of, like, crap, like, I just wanted to try this new position to, like, switch things up, and now they're soft, and it's my fault because they probably picked a bad new position and I'm not pretty. <laughs> None of that is true. I'm pretty. It's fine. I was trying to have sex like on top of the person, on top of my chair, which may or may not be just out of my ability realm. I well, don't know. And what so, is what is yeah. your what is your yeah. favorite position? Ability realm. Oh, uh, position. Well, the most doable position seems to be um, when I put my legs over top of someone else's legs and then they just kind of thrust that way from, like, behind me. And is that easier for you based on your disability? Yep. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Is there a... So you put your legs... So basically, I lay on top of them, they lay underneath me, but like a little bit angled so that they have some leverage. Oh, okay, I understand. Awesome. Yes, yes. It's basically just like a porno. Awesome. That's super cool. Not at all. It's not true. That's super cool. Yeah, yeah. It's very graceful. Very super. You should definitely film that one day. Yeah. Please please do, and then we'll have you back on to talk about how you're a porn star. Um... So, Kristen, you do awesome work. I love what you do. I also think that you brought a really, you know, important topic to us today, and I think I repeated that. So, um, yeah, thanks how, for having me. Of course. How do we get a hold of you? Uh, well, you could email me, kristen.williams10 at gmail.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-E-N dot Williams10, because I was the 10th one on gmail at the time at gmail.com um so you can email me i also have a blog which you can go and read if you're really bored it's um kdub155.wordpress.com you can ask andrew if if you forget what it is or um uh yeah so those are my main ways of contacting me i think awesome the blog is really good it's got some really Deep disability stuff in there, so definitely read up on it. Kristen, you're awesome. I'll talk to you in a minute when we when we're done. But thank you so much for coming on. 
Just yeah, after dark, and of course. And for and for, <laughs> for being so candid, candid with us about serious stuff like abuse and all the things we never really want to talk about when it comes to disability and sex, and then funny stuff like your favorite positions and that kind of stuff. So, as a woman with disabilities, I think it's important for you to tell your story, and I really appreciate that you did. Thank you. I wish you all the happy orgasms in the world. Awesome. The happy and weird-looking orgasms in the world, right? Totally weird-looking, yeah. Awesome, thanks. Bye. Bye. I think it's critically important to share those stories, and I think we need to talk much more about sexual assault. I think we need to talk about the way women are treated with disabilities on the internet. I think the way Kristen was treated in the incident that we discussed in the interview was problematic. I think that... She is an important voice in our community, and we need to talk to a lot more women about the way they are perceived in these sexually charged environments living with disabilities. I think we also need more groups for women with disabilities who've experienced violence to tell their stories. I don't think there's enough being done in the environments for women who've experienced violence who are specifically disabled. I don't think there's enough... uh, support for them and I would like to suggest that we need to provide more spaces for them to feel safe and share their unique perspectives because I think the the rate of violence that Kristen quoted which I believe was between 81 and 91 percent is much too high and I think we need to create supports specific to people with disabilities to discuss this type of violence. This interview was only one small part of the conversation. If you'd like to have a conversation and continue this conversation with me, hit me up over email, andrew at andrewgerza.com. I'd love to have you on the show, and I'd love to talk to you more about this. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shine a bright light on sex and disability. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, read my blogs or book me to bring sex and disability to you, head over to www. This episode of Disability After Dark is a handmade piece of crippled content created just for you. We record, edit, and produce each piece of this show to bring disability to you in a fresh, exciting, and sexy way. Help us create more episodes and support crippled content creation by heading over to our Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash and pledge if you can. Your monthly pledge goes towards things like audio equipment, podcast hosting subscriptions, and everything we need to bring this disability-centered program to you. By pledging your support, you're showing that disability content has value, means something, and deserves a place in our media landscape. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Copyright Notice This program was created and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and the music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza Shining a bright light on sex and disability